Ah, uh, <laughs> yes, that's perfect. You're like right, <laughs> right underneath the thing when you laugh. Busting bars over it's perfect. here. It's perfect. It's perfect. Perfect. That describes me. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's what you're tuning in for. And today we are doing Collision Course by Linkin Park and Jay-Z. Yeah, the great mashup here presented to us by uh, MTV, the great MTV as it still was in the early 2000s. With this, still doing music related. Yeah, with this 2004, November 30th, 2004 release. Very cool, 2004. Yep, CD, DVD release, um, combo package. It was uh, five, five tra- six tracks. Yeah, I know what we're doing here. This is our uh, six tracks on the CD. And the live performance as well on the DVD. And the full project is covered on the, the DVD that came with the CD. So it came out November 2004. Another soft case, I believe. Okay. It's like a park was really blazing the way here. Yeah, that makes sense. This is another album that I owned. So you bought them all up to this point. You were getting... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not live in Texas. Not live in Texas. That's true. Yeah. And I, th- I think it was sometime after this point that I stopped buying CDs and and switched to uh, copying albums mm-hmm. from the public library and saving them to my computer. I think that's about the point that I started uh, doing that. Stopped buying albums and was like, oh, I can borrow stuff from the public borrow. library. Yeah, borrow them for a day. Borrow, borrow about 20 albums for a day. Uh, copy Can't them even to listen my computer. to 20 in a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then I uh, take them then back I return the next them. Day. Yeah, exactly. Get another uh, max out the number of of audio I could have. That's what we call a loophole. Yeah. Well, it worked out well for me. Got some good records out of it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's a good point. This was probably right around the time when streaming started to take over and other other means of getting music, downloading music, streaming. Probably not streaming, but downloading tracks was certainly at the forefront by this point. Still put out a CD, DVD combo pack. I mean, people still do that today, but like a big deal, man. Like MTV presents the CD, DVD combo. Yep, for two big artists at the time. I believe Jay-Z had eight number one albums by this point. Uh, Hybrid Theory, I think, had gone diamond uh, at this point. So big artists on this scale. Jay-Z had worked with Linkin Park previously, or excuse me, with MTV previously for a live unplugged set in 2001, so about three years previous to this album release. So we should explain um, a mashup album. We've talked about it a little bit with reanimation and with the uh, Britney Spears mashup on the last episode, but uh, maybe, probably not, but maybe one of the most mainstream you know, examples of a mashup album. They took songs that were hit songs by Jay-Z, Songs that were hit songs by Linkin Park and combine them into new songs for a new album. Uh, a lot of people do it these days, but uh, at the time, I think it was um, actually the Grey album that uh, brought that idea to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Uh, it's an album made by DJ Danger Mouse, and it's entirely made of samples from Jay-Z's The Black Album and The Beatles' White Album. It's phenomenal. It was very notorious at the time for being an album that was an illegal album. It still is because the Beatles never um, allow their music to be sampled. The whole thing was created for no money, without permission. Uh, Danger Mouse just did it as a labor of love and uh, distributed it for free. The 
Beatles never got paid for that, and Jay-Z never got paid for that, and Danger Mouse was not allowed to get paid for it as well. So there is certainly uh, a precedent of Jay-Z's music being used as a mashup, and uh, it makes a lot of sense that MTV would want to uh, do a project like this where it's an official mashup. Like, it's finally, it's not just a fan mashup bootleg for fun it's like okay well let's cash in like if that's the trend let's yep. do one for real then yep they'd worked with uh jay-z previously three years previously for a live unplugged set uh that was released as an album this is a solid project um so reaching out to jay-z here and asking what group he'd like to work with for this project was a cash grab uh, and he selected lincoln park he picked lincoln park I think he chose correctly. He could have chose Limb Biscuit. He could have chose something <laughs> that was not going to stand the test of time nearly as well as, yeah. as some of this Linkin Park stuff. Uh, so it was originally going to be a couple songs, so not a f- six-song project that it turned into, um, but it was expanded, um, and it was originally a back and forth between Mike Shinoda and Jay-Z uh, with Mike working the samples and sending some correspondence over to Jay before they hopped in the studio. And even though it is verses from the Black Album and other, I think, are they all from the Black Album or not? Nope. We have uh, three tracks from the Black Album. We have uh, a track from the Blueprint. We have one from uh, Volume 3, Life and Times of Sean Carter, and Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. Cool. But yeah, the point I was trying to make is even though it's um, you know, the the verbatim lyrics, uh he actually re-recorded them, I yep. think, it, in almost all the case all six songs on this so that it would better. They didn't just on the Grey album, they just took the vocals from the Black album. On this it was actually a re-recorded. So technically, I think technically it's not even a mashup at that point. <laughs> Other than the, they didn't mash up the recordings. They they did mash up the songs and the lyrics. A bit of a rendition. But yeah, more of a rendition or, it's just cool that he was willing to go that extra mile, you know, and, and actually do the performance again to match the new record instead of just, uh, you know, taking a track from from one of the old projects where it's the same lyrics, but it he needed it to fit better and re-perform it. So that's cool that they... We're able to do that. Yeah. Uh, the re-recordings were done over a, a three-day span, July 16th through 19th, 2004, uh, a few months before the full CD-DVD project was released. And then once they had the full six-length, six-song CD project completed, they did a live performance of the songs as well on that scene on the, on the DVD side. And we're going to do that, too, just because... It is a CD-DVD combo on this episode. We are going to review them both. Um, I remember at the time thinking it was kind of a ripoff to buy a six-song <laughs> album, and that is why I never bought it. But yeah, obvious. I think it was the same price as a normal CD, but they did throw that yes. DVD in there. So it's you know you are kind of getting your money's worth at that point. But at the time, I was just like, no, not six songs. That doesn't count. Nowadays, I see uh, you know. It doesn't matter how long it is. It just matters how good it is. And um, I think maybe nowadays I would have probably picked it up. Uh, but yeah, at the time I, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to skip it. It's not, you know, does it really count as an album? I think now it does. People remember this a lot. Like people look back 
uh, Lincoln Park fans especially. I'm not too sure necessarily how Jay-Z fans feel about this album. I'm sure some some people like it, some people don't. But uh, Lincoln Park fans love Collision Course. Like This was a high watermark. This was really cool. This was an amazing collaboration that they, they got to work. I mean, Jay-Z's still a legend you know, to this day, you know, high status. They were, they were at the top of the game right here. They were as big as they could ever be right here. Yep. Uh, I think this, I, I think it technically goes down as an EP now, although the lines between albums, mixtapes, which have since now are released as for-profit CDs right. and, e- and EPs are all, the lines blurred there. So that doesn't really matter. And this was, you know, the Black Album was released the year prior and that was supposed to be uh, Jay's retirement. <laughs> I knew he was lying at the time. Yeah, so that didn't happen. <laughs> it's um, cool though that every rapper does that. Like, I'm gonna leave. Yeah, I'm gonna disappear. Now what? Yeah, so that was a big headline uh, grabber, uh, and I think this was the first project he did coming back, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. That so yeah, he so came out of retirement to work with them. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of. Uh, remix old material mm-hmm. per se you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so it wasn't an official comeback but because he did perform with them uh and hop back on here it was you know he po- he popped his head back in the game per se so that yeah. was kind of a kind of a big deal so good job mtv for thinking of that and putting that together it really makes it kind of a time capsule like uh the mashup thing was hot at that time and that place and uh yeah, they just had to get a piece of that pie, man. It makes a lot of sense. You still see it now. They'll st- they still do mashups where if if two hit songs can fit, they'll do it. Like there are I can't think of any offhand off the top of my head, but uh I know there's record labels still doing this kind of thing. And uh, the fans do it constantly. And you've got artists uh like the DJ Girl Talk and a few of these other guys who their whole career and uh the Super Mash Bros was around at this time period as well yep. where that kind of started coming into prominence as far as I mean it was uh it's kind of frat boy music, kind of, you know, party music, but it was mashups. It was mashups of rap and rock um put together into a new song. And that was huge. I think everybody heard that one at the time too. The the Super Mash Bros. It went number one on the Billboard. Billboard. Collision uh, Course did. It did. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, two times platinum. It was the first Lincoln Park album. Wow. That had uh, the parental advisory sticker. Right. Although the the clean version uh, was partially clean. There were some words that were allowed. <laughs> um, They're so, yeah. never consistent. Yep, so up until Minutes Until Midnight came out in 2007, they had not yet had the explicit label, even on reanimation where they collaborated um, with hip-hop artists. So That label is voluntary. You don't have to label your music as explicit. Uh, that's just how it works in America. Uh, most of the record labels choose to do it if they, you know, if it's explicit. You don't see it anymore. I'm pretty sure... Um, some of the recent Eminem stuff that has come out as a CD just doesn't have it. Really? And like, it is explicit, like just, is, you know, as explicit as anything, but they just don't bother. They're just like, you know what you're getting. Like, you know, <laughs> which is the whole point. Like the whole thing is like, you, you bought this, you bought it. Like you chose this. So that's, but whatever it's, it was kind of a badge of honor at the time, honestly. Yeah. I guess I haven't looked at an album in a long time. I don't think they do it at all anymore. I think most of the labels are just like, whatever. Kids aren't buying this anyway. Like, 
Yeah. I mean, you can pick up a book and it has yeah. all kinds of... Yeah, whatever you want. ...of language in it, so... I did uh, actually get the full story on the fact how they didn't use any explicit language in their first few albums. They were saying, uh, in the thing I was reading, they were talking about how the their producer would always get them to rewrite the song, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. He just wanted it to be so clear and so... Um, just really, really expressing like a clear idea. And th- they were saying it was totally an accident that by the time they had gone through that process and done all the rewrites, they had taken all the curse words out. And it, it was just a byproduct. They didn't set out to like, oh, we should like make it clean so that kids can buy it too, which is what I kind of always figured. But that wasn't their thought process at all. They just wanted it to be so that they could not be misunderstood and so that they could just have a clear, concise message. And it just ended up that it was all, you know, not G-rated, but also not explicit. Well, we see a lot of that in their writing. There's a lot of question response and a lot of simpler, you know, it's not hard to understand, (laughs) I guess I would say. Um, So you can certainly see that in in the writing of the songs. So that makes sense. And Jay-Z screwed it all up. Dropping four-letter words and whatever else he wants to say. However you want to spell them. Whatever you want to say. (laughs) Very cool project. Very cool idea for a project. Um, Yeah, did not pick it up at the time, but I did end up hearing all the tracks through friends and through other people. It's interesting that this is now the fourth time hearing some of these songs. That's true. We've had the hybrid theory version, the reanimated version, the live version, and now the collided course version. So some of these songs were quite lucrative for them early in their career. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a quadruple dip on some of these. Uh, don't Not hating on it. It just is. It's just interesting that they, they got a lot of mileage. I don't know. I think they probably should have done more follow-up music. It took them so long to get to Minutes to Midnight. Um, That was just so much late. It just felt like a whole nother second half to their career. And this whole part of their career is like, well, let's remix it again. Let's remix it again. It works. I'm not, you know, it's still a great album and I still love these songs. It's just interesting how much mileage they got out of... uh, you know, yeah. writing a handful handful of songs, really. Well, I think by the time... So you look at their original music, Hybrid Theory in 2000... 2000? 2000, yeah, 2000. Um, you had Meteora in 2003, and you have Minutes to Midnight in 2007. That's three albums over actually eight years. Yeah, it's way too slow. Yeah, so I'd actually started to, to trail off Linkin Park a little bit by the time Minutes to Midnight... I think a lot of people did. Yeah, had come out, so... Yeah, that's just that's how they did it, man. That's, that's that was that's the it. the path that they walked and that's what their label was comfortable doing and that's, you know, it's a it's a business. So you can't just uh you can't just release whatever you want whenever you want, even if you're Linkin Park and but uh yeah, let's try it out. Let's do track by track. Track 1. We got Dirt Off Your Shoulder uh mashed up with Lying From You. Uh, they don't have any clever titles on these like they did with Reanimation. It's literally just the name of the Jay-Z song followed by the name of the Linkin Park song. Yeah, could be called like Dirty Lies or something. That'd be great. That's <laughs> that's what they kind of should have done, I think. Mash up the titles maybe. But then, yeah, maybe you wouldn't know what you're getting at that point. You got to know you that it's... You got to work for it. You got to work. <laughs> right, you got to buy it and find out. But yeah, Dirt Off Your Shoulder, Lying From You. 
we start off with a nice little intro line. We have a couple of them here yeah. on this album. And that's got to be the the beat from Dirt Off Your Shoulder where it starts. It starts with yep. Jay's music and Linkin Park's lyrics. So that's how it starts. So we've got the, yep, the Jay-Z in the middle there, and we roll then right into Linkin Park song. So we, we start with a little Linkin Park, dive right into basically half to three quarters of Dirt Off Your Shoulder, and then we get the instrumentation for Lying From You. I have to remember it's Lying From You, not Lying To You, Under with You, you. <laughs> With You, Away From You, Lying From You. Um, and then we roll right into Linkin Park, Smooth Transition. I'm sure they re-recorded uh, part of this to make it a little smoother. I'm sure I, this is one of the songs where I don't think the tempo is, is as as different as some of the other tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think the BPMs are as far off here. But wonderful transition, little Mike Chester action at the beginning. Yeah. Roll right into Dirt Off Your Shoulder uh, as if it has a different um, instrumentation in the background. And then we roll right into Lying From You, and it's wonderful. We still get the Chester screams. Yeah, they didn't cut the screams. They could have. We keep that in there. We get, we get the full experience of both songs here uh, and kind of meld them together wonderfully. It's better than Lying From You. Every time I hear Lying From You, I try to sing the words from Dirt Off Your Shoulder. So that proves that it fits. You know, you can sing one to the other just without the mashup. Yeah, I think it's better than Lying From You, which is amazing. I think I'll give it an A. I think this is an A-plus for me. I love this. I love this collaboration. Uh, And some of these collaborations, I haven't quite decided if I'm going to give one an S yet, but some are going to be pretty close. uh, Because when hearing one song or the other, I do think of the collaboration and some of these do still pop into my head sometimes because uh, I think they were just done so wonderfully. And if I was, you know, doing a mixtape CD of the best of Linkin Park, one or two of these mixes might be on there. This is it's good a good stuff. point. Yeah, just to remind the audience at home, we rank everything on kind of a tier list, A through F, but we got the S that's even higher than the A. And kind of the way we're thinking about it is if we made an all-time greatest mixtape of Linkin Park, the S tracks is what we would put on there. Not their greatest hits, but their fan favorite hits, according to us, the fan. And uh, yeah, we'll see if anything gets an S in here. That's a good point. That's, I think that's still a fair standard for these. Uh, if, and uh, we didn't do it on the live album because are you really going to put a live version on your all-time greatest mixtape? Probably not. Uh, this might make the cut. This might make... I mean, you could put Lying From You and this on there, honestly. I, I gave it an A, but uh, yeah, some of these some of these you might even double dip. We'll see what goes on here. So the second track on the collaboration, the Big Pimpin' Paper Cut collaboration, Paper Cut from Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, Big Pimpin' from Volume 3, Life and Times of Sean Carter, his 99 release. Uh, originally, UGK was on the track, Uh, Mm. The duo of Bun B and the late Pimp C, of course. Um, So there was no iteration of their verses on this track. It was just Jay-Z, Jay-Z's verses on this track. And again, we open with Mike and Chester. Yeah, it starts with the beat from the Jay-Z song, but it's the vocals from the Linkin Park song. It's it's the same setup as the first one. It starts with Jay's music, Linkin Park's lyrics, then they bring Jay's vocals in, and they never really switch it up to the paper cut riff, I don't think. 
and uh, they completely skip the whole second half bridge section of paper cut. Like, the sun goes down. Like, that whole second half of paper cut uh, is not part of the mashup. It's just, it's the, the other half of paper cut. And I don't think this is as good as paper cut. I think the last one was better than the original. This one's definitely not. I gave Paper Cut an S, so I I got to give this like a C minus. Yeah, it's very much a big, big pimpin' with just a slice of Paper Cut in it. <laughs> Thank a you. A slice. A slice, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Chester and, and Mike pop it in briefly. So it's more or less just a different, yeah, rendition of big pimpin more or less so yeah it's like big pimpin with mike shinoda as the guest instead of whoever the other guests were kind it's not as much of a mashup as the first track yeah it's it's dropping ugk and, and adding a little lincoln park as a, a feature so uh not a it's fine b minus track three we got jig what slash faint now, as we've said, this this faint mashup has a lot of living up to do. It's got some big shoes to fill. There has been a faint mashup in the past, as we have fawned over at length on the pod on the Britney Spears podcast. <laughs> but we got Jay on this one. Yeah, and this is a uh, this is solid. We start out basically with the the Jigawat Jigahoo. Jay's music. Yes. Lincoln Park's lyrics. But then they mash in Linkin Park's music. So it is a true, true mashup where yes. you've got both pieces of music, not just one lyric on the other beat and vice versa. It's both pieces of music for the first time on here. Yep. Um, but it is a, a slower speed than faint. And it is the about the speed of Jigga What Jigga Who. At the beginning. At the beginning, yep. Um, for, for Jay-Z's verses. And then we do a full transition. By the time we get to the end, we're in full faint mode. Speed's way up, way up. And then, yeah, it's mostly just the faint music. It's really just faint at the end. Jay-Z kind of disappears. Yeah. Uh, Jay-Z does do one verse with the uh, faint background. He does have to effectively double his speed, double the speed that he's rapping. So that was a piece that he had to re-record. And... Um, we're just faint by the end. Lincoln Park singing their normal last verse, last bridge, and uh, outro to the song. Which is fair enough. I mean, it was a huge hit. They got the Jay-Z, little spice of Jay-Z in there. And uh, yeah, they just bring it on home as the normal faint, which I'm sure was still on every radio station every hour at this point in time. I mean, it was, it was what, a year or two after Meteora. So yep, fair enough that this one's not quite as... Uh, different sounding from the original Linkin Park song. Yeah, I like it a lot. Pretty much the definition of a of a matchup to start with um Mike and Chester at the beginning, roll straight into um Jay-Z section and then to hit faint and then have keep a little Jay-Z verse lingering and have him go double speed so kind of like a hangover from his original section so transitioning from, you know, Jay-Z to to Linkin Park on the back end fully. I think this is a solid A for me. I'm giving it a solid B. I don't really know why. I think maybe they could have done a little more with it. Uh, maybe have Jay come back at the end. But yeah, I'll give it a B. No problem giving it a B. Yeah, it would have been nice to have him pop in briefly towards the end. All right, so next up here we have uh, Numb and Encore. From the Black Album, we have Encore. 
Uh, it was produced by Kanye West, actually, uh, and John Legend and a few other on the original vocal track as well. Okay. And Numb from Meteora of Linkin Park. Big hit. <laughs> yep. Big hit. Yep. Uh, and so Linkin Park, for the first time, really gets to take over here. The instrumentation is really numb with kind of some basic, I believe it's just 808, just the basic mm-hmm. track from Encore in the back. Another one that's very tied musically together where they have musical elements from both and it's not just you know rapping over the other track so definitely uh, a true mashup again here pretty good song yep uh they blend nice nicely together um we do get jay-z uh you know popping in in the middle and jay-z kind of tying it together you know can i get an encore do you want more in the end so lyrically he's involved more uh, it's nice to hear really a, a big song. I didn't like Numb a whole lot when it came out, and mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Encore fan either, but this iteration of both together works really nicely. Um, we do have all three together, um, kind of at the beginning, kind of the, I guess it's a chorus, maybe pre-chorus kind of piece. Um, so we do get that inclusion between all the vocalists together. Um, yeah, and they've got Mike and Chester singing Jay's lyrics on this one, which I think is phenomenal. They yep. do. It's I'm pretty sure it's Chester and Mike on the "What the hell are you waiting for?" Yeah. and all the stuff. They trade so back and forth. Yeah, so they're all singing together, which is another step, you know, forward. That's another cool little trick for them to do here. Give you your money's worth on a, a really cool performance like that. This was the. One single uh, that came off the project won a Grammy as well. Wow, in 2006 um, for best rap slash sing sung um, collaboration, uh, and they did perform it at the Grammys as well. And they brought out um, McCartney as well. Paul McCartney. That's yep, to perform uh, uh, yesterday in collaboration. So they did the numb, numb encore with Mike Shinoda actually on the keys playing a piano on stage and brought out Paul McCartney as well and kind of tacked on yesterday to the end of that three-song mashup for the Grammys. That's mind-blowing. And maybe a little nod to the fact that the whole project, the whole collaboration came from the Grey album. Right. So it's a throwback to the original mashup, which started with Beatles music and then bringing Paul McCartney that I mean that I didn't know they did that. That's like a whole nother level of collaboration right there. Like that's it doesn't get any bigger than that. That I didn't know. I never know that they met. I wonder what Paul thinks of Lincoln Park's music or if he ever bothered to listen to the rest of it. I know there are some modern singing groups and stuff like that that he has followed over the years. I remember I think it's like Bare Naked Ladies, for instance. <laughs> You know, not super, super modern, but more modern than Paul McCartney. Right. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that Paul McCartney has uh, commented on more modern music over the years. And ha- he did that uh, Kanye West collaboration. Yeah. Which With is Rihanna. his biggest song on yeah, Spotify. That trio. It's Paul's biggest song, which I find that to be mind blowing because Paul is the <laughs> most successful musical artist of all time. Still, period. He sold more records uh, he's made more money 
selling records and playing concerts than anyone else ever has. If, you, if you have the total sales of records and concert, because a lot of these other guys have like clothing lines and yada, yada, yada. But if you take the money that was made from playing music, it's, it's Paul McCartney every time. He's far ahead of the rest of the competition in that regard. Absolute legend. He's a knight. Did not know that he collaborated with Lincoln. That's that's got to be a high water mark of Lincoln Park's career. I mean, even even when you put it beside the Jay Z, which was right there, that's a high water mark. Them getting to meet Jay Z and doing yeah. a record with Jay Z, and then that just takes them into the stratosphere at that point. Yeah. So uh, you can certainly still find the the clip out there, but very interesting performance. Never knew that. Huge Beatles fan. Huge Lincoln Park fan. Never, uh, never put that together. That is very cool. It's cool that they thought to do that. Like, well, we're mashing them up anyway. Let's just keep mashing them up. Let's. It's cool that the Grammys even cared about this record. It's a drag that this did not prompt the Grammys to make a best mashup album category. <laughs> coulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah, that might uh, get some more projects going. What do you rank this song? Oh, well, this is a, this is um, this is an A for me. I think I got to stick with a B. I am not the biggest Numb fan. I think on the La- on the Meteora podcast, you ranked Numb uh, higher than I did, I believe. So I think I got to go one grade lower. I got to give it the B then at that point. Yeah. I'd rather listen to this mashup than either songs individually, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I really like this. I think that's kind of the, that's really the test for this kind of thing, for the mashup scene do you prefer this to either of the original or both of the original? So that's high praise. And then they get an encore. They got two more songs. I always wondered why this was not like the second to last or the last because <laughs> you do the encore at the very end. But whatever. It's halfway through the album. So whatever. Yeah. So. We'll give him an encore. We'll do the next song. We got track five, Izzo slash In the End. Very interesting song. This one's a lot more uh, kind of low low tempo kind of kind of more chill of a song kind of more laid back this one is like full-on Izzo there's almost none of the music from in the end on here um, it's almost as far as I can tell is mostly just the beat from Izzo and it a lot of Jay-Z on the some of them are more heavily Linkin Park this one's like full-on Jay-Z uh, with just kind of Mike and Chester singing they they basically are the featured verse. They kind of do a thing in the middle where they do the in the end uh, rapping part, and then um, I think there's like uh, even new recordings of Chester kind of doing the harmonies on the on the in the end chorus. One of the things we criticized about reanimation was that it seemed to be just old tracks of Chester, and that there was nothing newly recorded for the project. Uh, this sounds like newly recorded it sounds like chester's like harmonizing to the new song so he got to, you know they all got to actually record new vocals and collaborate for this very cool what do you think of the song michael yeah i i like it i'm not the biggest fan of Izzo. i do like the new lyrics you know the re-recording that that chester did um and i believe that the jay had to do new vocals for this as well i believe it's a little bit more up tempo is originally from the Blueprint, which was released in 2001, and Kanye West has uh, production credits on Izzo as well, but just not. I mean, it's fine. Get your hands up. Yeah, it's cool. I just, I just, I don't know. That's just 
not your and favorite. It's, it's not in the end. No, and it doesn't sound like in the end. At all. Not, There's nothing never about been my favorite. So other than a few re- newly recorded lines uh, of Chester harmonizing, it just it just doesn't do it for me. I think it's cool that the original Izzo and this is a sample of I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. So we got MJ's voice in there, which is incredible. Sounds great after all this time. Kind of making it a triple mashup, really, even though, you know, the original is like a sample. But uh, anytime you can get some Michael Jackson vocals in there, that's going to take your record to the next level. It just sounds as good as it did the day it was recorded. I love I Want You Back. That's one of my all-time favorite pop songs uh, across any genre. That would be an S++ in my book. But uh, not a Linkin Park song, not a Jay-Z song, just a sample that's on there. They They got some... They got a record with Michael Jackson's voice on it, and I think that is amazing. I will give the this. I'm going to give it a C. It's kind of average. It's kind of... It is... Uh, yeah, I just... I think it's average. I think it's cool that it was... Uh, they trusted in the Jay-Z music and that Linkin Park kind of got to do their, their featured vocal on top of Jay-Z's music. So it's kind of the reverse for this song. Uh, it's just not... I don't know. It's low energy compared to what came before, especially after the encore where they should really be hyping it back up again. It it just seems a little more forced, a little more just you got to make it fit as opposed to like this really fit already. And we just had to put it together. Yes. B minus for me. I just feel like they could have done more here and there, whether it's more harmonizing or more, I don't know, something, uh, something that just doesn't do it for me. (laughs) Yeah. Could have taken it to the next level somehow. Cool, cool. Bringing us all the way to the final song on the album. This one's a triple mashup. We got Points of Authority, 99 Problems, and One Step Closer. All mashed together. What do you think of it, Michael? Well, it's basically uh, 99 Problems 2.0. Or the 100th problem being that there's not a whole lot of (laughs) Linkin Park, uh, you know, lyrics woven into this as much yeah basically 99 problems to uh, the back of the points of authority instrumentation uh, then we go into one step closer with the chester screams and it fits on one step closer too. who would have known it kind of cuts out halfway through then they bring in the other riff but yeah it's really kind of just jay rapping to the other song it's not as much of a mashup as it is just him rapping to the other beat there's not as there's nothing as far as i know musically from the 99 problems original song in there it's really cool that mike shinoda uh raps along with jay-z and then takes over and sings some of jay-z's verse for him and then the whole part in the middle of 99 problems where jay gets pulled over mike sings all of the cop vocals where the cop is like interrogating him and stuff in the car so yeah, the response. Yep. That's super cool that Mike that Jay trusted Mike enough to sing his words and that they that they even thought to try that. Like let's have a different voice in here to do the different vocal part and it just sounds great. It really works. Yeah, it's a great wrap up to the project, the trust that they had amongst each other. And I think it goes to uh the point later that when Mike does go off on his solo project with Fort Minor um, the following year that Jay-Z does executive produce that project. Very cool. Anything else to say about this particular song? 
99 Problems has got to be Jay-Z's most famous song, right? Yeah. I think it's his most well-known among among the general population. At least at that Let's time it was, it was up there. I'm not sure that it is anymore. Um, but this is, uh, I mean, this is a B plus to me, not my favorite off, off the project. I think we could have dropped some of um, Jay-Z's verses off and made it more of a back and forth. But I do like the vocal back and forth with Mike picking up some of the verse. I'll give it an A minus for all the reasons I already said. I think it's very cool, very interesting. Not going to give it the S. Apparently, I give no S, no S's on this. None of them were really... Uh, <laughs> you said you liked a few of them better than the original. This one, you can't really swap out for the original. This one's just so much of, of kind of its own separate thing. Uh, you really couldn't swap this out for for the at least for the Lincoln part. You might be able to swap out ninety nine problems for this, but you wouldn't really listen to this over either of those Lincoln Park songs, really. Yeah. Uh but Numb Encore and um Numb Encore was great. Uh Jigawatt Faint was very good. Uh Dirt Off Your Shoulder Lying From You it's good too. So we checked out the DVD included with Collision Course. Pretty entertaining stuff. Yep. So once they did the re-recordings for the album, they had a little practice sesh, and then they did a concert for the fans, both Jay-Z and the Linkin Park Underground fans as well. And uh, the DVD takes you through that whole process. It shows them in the studio. It shows Linkin Park in the studio alone. It shows Jay-Z showing up to the studio. It shows them uh, convincing Jay to re-record parts with them and hang out with them in the studio. Yeah, it goes... They actually practiced together, which yep. I thought was incredible. Uh, going, you know, going that extra mile. Not really. You got to do it. But going that extra mile, actually rehearsing. Uh, good job. And then, yeah, them going to the actual venue and doing a show with Jay-Z. Yeah, so it was. they performed at the Roxy Theater Nightclub on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. Uh, I think the, the tops out are about 500 people, max capacity. And folks like Bruce Springsteen, the Ramones, Neil Young, a whole bunch of folks have performed there over the years. A whole bunch of folks have recorded live DVDs and performances there as well. So it must be set up for that with cameras and everything. Yep, yep. So it's set up for that kind of performance. System of a Down also made their first live performance there uh, in 1995. So it's that kind of venue. So it was set up for that kind kind of performance. And uh, Lincoln Park fans were allowed, based on a questionnaire, they kind of surprised them with the the Jay-Z appearance, and it was the same thing uh, on the other side, I believe, as far as the Jay-Z fans. So it was kind of a surprise for fans to show up to this concert and see them both together, although you can see on the DVD that both their names were on the headlining banner On the marquee outside. there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. So they must have known when they were walking in the door, but they do mention how... They didn't really tell the fans that that's what was going to be happening. And they, they basically say that they, they sent out a questionnaire that was like, what are your other favorite bands or other favorite music? And then whoever they thought would be the most crossover with Jay-Z fans, those were the kids that they invited out. And like, here's your special ticket to come on out. So I wonder if they even knew at that point what they were getting themselves into. Probably not. Or probably not. <laughs> and then Jay just straight up says he didn't tell his fans anything. Uh, like he I don't know if he just said it was just a Jay-Z show or I mean he doesn't talk to talk to him but no. I don't know whatever his manager said yeah, or I'm his, sure his marketing team his marketing company like, yeah to figure out what folks 
be best to invite yeah they look like they're having fun it looks really chill they've got signs on the wall that say like no stage diving and stuff like that so i'm sure they were keeping it super contained and controlled because it is like a a set you know like a movie set as well with cameras and everything but uh they look like they're having fun jay-z looks like he's having fun yeah so the whole project took only a few days you know once once mike had taken time with deciding what tracks to use mm-hmm. and and sent them to to jay-z but the recording process and some practicing and the performances took place over a, a few days now we have it forever and that is collision course That's pretty much collision course pretty cool uh at the very beginning jay says like we're making history right here man and i think he's right i think i think this will be kind of one of the ones that people look back on you don't really there's a nowadays you do have a lot of like rock and rap together and obviously lincoln park was at that time was kind of at the forefront of that but even amongst all of those other different ways to mix rock and rap together i think this still stands out and it's good like it it was kind of a cash grab but they really pulled it off and really put their heart into it and really they really did a really amazing job on it and I think people will look back at this as kind of a high watermark of the the 2000s era of music and look back at it as as a really great uh, collaboration between two completely different kinds of music. I'm not sure how this would have turned out had Jay-Z selected a different group that didn't have someone like Mike or a group that was so involved with their own... Yeah, I don't want to say own production, but yeah, own production. Mike's as far the producer as, in this. Oh like yeah, he, he's giving Jay Z tips. He he's running the board. He's running the Pro Tool. It's literally just Mike sitting there running, like doing what the producer would do. And there's give and take between Jay Z and the group as far as what's coming in and out of the project, um, and what needs to be re-recorded. So just great collaboration. And I just don't don't know that you would have gotten anything near this kind of quality. A project out of a different group yeah that's a really good point lincoln park brought the, they got the production they got the producer in the band with them that takes them to the next level they got the dj in the band with them with johan that uh, you know that's another level of professionalism right there and i just love stuff like this man jay jay says in the movie he's like i'm just gonna be me you're just gonna be you you know we're not gonna try to be anything that we're not we just are what we are and that's that's the diversity of it that's why it works so well is you know they're not trying to change each other they're not trying to to make anything be what it's not but they're just gonna see what it see how it fits together with doing what they already do like doing what they're already known for and what they're already good at and i just love stuff like that it's too bad this couldn't become a series. I always thought when this yeah. initially released that MTV wouldn't sponsor a series like this. When I initially bought it, I thought it'd be a longer project as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was so short, uh, and I thought it would be an ongoing mini album DVD release. Like they were going to do small collaborations with groups, followed up by many, many concerts that'd be recorded. So I thought it was going to be part of uh, a series. That's a good point. They certainly could have. It's kind of cool that they didn't like run it into the ground like that. I mean, once you right. you started doing like Lil John meets Corn, like at a certain point, it's it's not gonna really work, and it will sound forced. So maybe it's cool that they did kind of do one and done on that kind of a thing. But there probably were a few other. Dude, it's their personalities, man. Like it was a shot in the dark, but it's like they really clicked as people. Yeah. Like you could tell that they clicked, you know, as artistic 
collaborators, like not just doing it for the cash in. I'm trying to imagine little John and the East Side Boys and Corn. I'm trying to imagine like Get Crunk. <laughs> it's like a Freak on like a, a metal. Oh my god. Yeah. There I you go. Know. I don't know, man. They could have done it. There was a lot of uh, obviously at that time a lot of rap, rap and rock mashup and kind of that new era where people were kids had grown up with both at that point and you know were able to draw influences from both of those different styles and yeah, I think you got to mention this one. If you if you do like a history of 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 mashups, certainly you would have to mention this. You got to mention this if you do a history of Lincoln Park, and I think you got to do this if if you talk about kind of the the interplay between uh, rock and rap. Obviously, the uh, there's that Run DMC song where they rap over "Walk This Way" by Aerosmith. That was in the '80s, so that was probably 15 or 20 years before this. Um, that's always kind of what people point to as, um, you know, rock fans, like that's what got them into rap, rap fans. That's what got them to start listening to more, some, some rock music. That's, that's a whole super interesting story as well. But the point I'm trying to make is that this collision course is up there with that type of a thing. If you did a documentary about the collaborations between rock and rap, uh, you would have to start with walk this way, but uh, collision course would be in there, man. I do think they made history here. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's probably reflected in a lot of folks that we see today, hip-hop artists that kind of slip over even some of the melding pot that is almost rock, pop, hip-hop. I don't know. It's hard to classify a lot of things anymore. But it's all the same thing at this point. It's yeah. all just one one genre, really. By the time they started putting trap beats over country music and having rappers rap over rock songs, and nowadays there's no such thing as genre, but... And this this is probably kind of what helped uh, bridge that gap and get people to just start listening. Is like, is it good music or not? Like, it doesn't matter what genre it is, or if it's necessarily um, something that you can personally relate to. Because what it's it, you know, all music, I think it, it's people telling you stories and bringing you into their world. When I listen to music, it's not necessarily like me trying to seek out what I'm going to personally uh, identify with, but it's more of me just like, all right, tell me where you're coming from. Like how to, you know, what is bring me into your world. And they definitely nail that type of, of thing on here. And I think they maybe opened a lot of people's eyes to other styles of music that they might not have heard. Yeah. And I think even with the fact that it's only six tracks and, you know, there's a couple of them we didn't like more than others that tend to skew towards, you know, Lincoln park or, or Jay-Z even with that, it's still on the spectrum of some kind of, of blending. Mm -hmm. So I like that they at least show it in different, different ways. That was our collision course podcast featuring Lincoln park and Jay Z next time on the podcast, we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep and we are going to cover some of the uh, early projects by Fort Minor, which is the pseudonym of Mike Shinoda. As we mentioned, um, Jay Z was the executive producer, kind of making sure that Mike uh, was hooked up with producers and, and stuff like that for his solo stuff. And uh, we are going to be covering the Fort Minor releases. So we're going to cover some of the, the early Fort Minor stuff on the next episode. My name is Ben. I'm Michael. We love you very much. Please follow us on all social media platforms.